Well, good morning. I think we'll get go ahead and get started this morning. Welcome to uh, this is the final class of the semester of uh, starting. What are we calling this? Starting points for Christian ethics. I almost forget what we're doing. Um, so welcome. And uh, my plan today is to really review and pick up where we left off uh, last week. As we think about, we, as, if you remember, we talked about moral dilemma and uh, how do we work through uh, these moral dilemmas where it would appear that the only options that I have are uh, the, to choose the lesser of two evils. And, uh, but that led to a larger question of this theme that I had on the board, the sanctity of truth. And so where I think that this is going to go is more along those lines, the sanctity of truth, so the ethics of truth and the ethics of how we speak, so verbal uh, interaction, our speech, how we use our words, how we use our mouths, um, and the Bible has a lot to say about that. So it, it, it sort of began in this moral dilemma, but I, the more I've studied this, the more I want to think through this with you on the sanctity of truth. And about 40 minutes into the class last week, I turned off the recorder. Not on purpose, I had accidentally, so those of you who are listening, uh, you know that 40 minutes it turned off and there was, it was just silence. Uh, so I, w- I want to pick up a little bit and, and help those who perhaps had uh, been listening uh, to the recordings and missed out on that last part, what we were thinking through in, uh, on the sanctity of truth. So that's where we're going to pick up. But I want to begin, so turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 12. And uh, meditation here in the scriptures and Proverbs 12, starting in verse 14. As it regards how we speak or how we use our words or the proper way or the improper way, the moral, the immoral way to use our speech. So it's Proverbs chapter 12. And uh, we'll begin in Verse 14, let me, uh, welcome, let me uh, begin in a word of prayer, and then, uh, and then we'll look at this text. Our Father, we're grateful this morning for uh, your kindness to us in, in myriad ways, uh, ways that we um, are not even thinking of, ways that we have not even considered this morning, the ways that you have been good to us, kind to us, you've watched over and kept us through the night for sure, and brought us here. And we are gathered and we're grateful that we have this opportunity to uh, read your word, to hear and to think and consider what you would have us do in obedience. Pray that you would bless um, these who have gathered and that you would help us. Help us as we consider our words, as we consider speech, uh, what your word tells us about our words, that we would take it to heart. We would desire to reflect Christ in the way he speaks and the way he interacts with others. So we love you, Lord, and we're grateful for uh, this time. And we do um, plead and ask for your favor uh, this morning and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Proverbs 12, starting in verse 14. We're going to read 14 through about 23. I just try to, as I'm reading, pick up. 
concepts or principles that have to do with speech or have to do with language, um, truthfulness or deceit, okay? Verse 14, from the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. Verse 21, no ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. In verse 23, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. And just go back through just some of these. The fruit of, you see in verse 14, the fruit of his mouth. Um, a, verse 15, a wise man listens to advice. Advice is verbal, is something verbally given. Right? And a wise man listens to that. Um, how do you know a person's vexation in verse 16? Some of your versions say angry. How do you know if a person is angry? Their face gets red, their veins pop out. Generally, though, there is some sort of, yeah, verbal exclamation of some, point, of some kind, right? So, you, so even though it doesn't say anything about speaking, the vexation of a fool is known at once. Um, there is speaking in that. We know, I mean, a person's angry. Well, it's evident that you're angry. You're using language and you're, you're uh, you know, you're, you're upset with your words. Uh, verse 17, speaking the truth. Uh, the end of verse 17, uttering deceit. Rash words, verse 18, are like sword thrusts. How do you communicate with your spouse, your friends? Rash words, quick words, are like thrusts of a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips, verse 19. I'm going to come back to this uh, here later in the, in the morning, but... Truthful lips endure forever. A lying tongue is for a moment. Deceit, again, verse 20. Uh, and then verse 22, lying lips are an abomination. There are very few things that Scripture calls an abomination. And there's like seven or eight, six or seven, right? But lying lips is one of them. Um, so just, just again, to think through uh, speech, how do we think through our words? All right, so that's kind of an introduction. Let's go back to some of the things that we talked about last Sunday uh, as far as the sanctity of truth and the character of God, okay? So this is where I think the, the recording cut off. But if you think about God, uh, we, we said in John 17, uh, uh, this verse in John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And then we know from John 14, Jesus himself says, 
John 14, 6, that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In 1 John 5, 20, again, speaking about Jesus, the Son, 1 John 5, 20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. We are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. The very same language that's used of the Father is used of the Son. True God, Father, Son. And then one thing that we didn't say last week is uh, regarding the Spirit and truth. So John 14... Uh, verse 17. Uh, start in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We actually talked about that, I think, in, verse, or in week one or week two of this class. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Thinking about ethics. And I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So all of this to say the sanctity of truth is very Trinitarian. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And John Murray has uh, something to say about this. I wanted to read. It was a, a nice summary of this. I'm thinking about God as true God. We are thus, I'm quoting John Murray, we are thus getting to the basis and heart of the question of truth. God is the truth. Truth, absolute, ultimate, eternal, in contradistinction from all that is relative, derived, partial, and temporal. When we speak, therefore, of the sanctity of truth, and that's the phrase that I picked up from John Murray himself, we must recognize that what underlies this concept is the sanctity of the being of God as the living and true God. He is the God of truth, and all truth derives its sanctity from Him. That is why, or this is why, all untruth or falsehood is wrong. It is a contradiction of that which God is. We know that God cannot lie. Um, so thinking through the sanctity of truth at its very core is thinking about God, who he is in his being as true, true God. Thoughts on that? We want to reflect who God is in our speech. So let me do this. If I, if I may, I need one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I need eight people who would be willing to uh, read a passage of Scripture, a short passage. So I'm going to um, see if, you, if there will be any volunteers for this. They're just uh, one verse, maybe two. So uh, Exodus 20, 16. Somebody like to take that? Okay, thank you, Susie. Psalm 5, 6. Thank you, John. Psalm 58, 3. Okay, thanks. Psalm 119, 163. Jordan, <laughs> 119, 163. Uh, Psalm 120, verse 2. Jerry, thank you. Three more. Ephesians 4.25. So into the New Testament. Yeah. Ephesians 4.25. Colossians 3, 
9 and 10. You get two verses. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. And then Revelation 21, 8. Okay, thank you. Revelation 21, 8. All right, so the rest, so uh, we're going to have our, our class read to us these. And so, big picture, thinking of the sanctity of truth in the character of God we just talked about and now thinking of how does scripture exhort us in speaking truthfully either that or prohibitions to speaking deceitfully speaking as lying okay so you're going to hear some of both as we go through this all right so uh, exodus 20 verse 16 okay you shall not bear false witness that's actually the ninth commandment okay so that was exodus 2016. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Psalm 5 6. We destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. Okay. Uh, that's pretty intense. You destroy those who speak lies. Again, what is being emphasized is verbal. Okay. Psalm 58 3. Speaking lies. So the wicked are included with those who are speaking lies, who go astray from birth. Psalm 58, 3. 119, 163. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Okay, now this is the psalmist. So the psalmist is saying, I hate falsehood, but I love your, well, I abhor it. I abhor falsehood. Psalm 120, verse 2. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips. From a deceitful tongue. Again, lying lips, speaking. So it's being emphasized. Deliver me, Lord, from that. I'm going to come back to that. So that's all Old Testament. Now New Testament, Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Okay. Put away falsehood. Speak. Again, it's emphasized. Uh, and then Colossians 3, 9 through 10. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Putting off the old self. Do not lie to one another. And then Revelation 21, 8. you hear that all liars are included with idolaters sorcerers the sexually immoral murderers they will have their portion in the lake of fire all liars this is pretty significant um how just on first blush here of hearing all of this and this is just a small sample what are your initial reactions as you think about truth and you think about speaking What comes to mind or how, just, can we draw some conclusions? Well, there's safety in it. <laughs> there's safety in, in what? And being truthful. In being truthful. Uh, because it says in one of the Psalms that we read, you destroy those who speak fall, you destroy liars. Liars will have their part, portion in the lake of fire. There's safety in truth. 
really good to think about. It, yeah. I, I can always err on the side of truth. I know that there is safety in truth. If, especially when we get into these moral dilemmas, like, oh, I don't know, should it, is it better to lie to, than to save? I mean, if I lie, then I can save a life. That was the example last week with the, the Nazis and, you know, you're hiding Jews in your basement and all this. What else? So there's safety and truth. What else? What else comes to mind? Uh, I think about do not speak hastily. Okay. But think before you speak. Yeah. Um, is it easy? It's easier as, as you just want to respond and you're not thinking deliberately to stretch truth, to hedge on the truth, to maybe push aside what is true. Just, it's easier to just say something. Okay? Gary, you had something? Yeah, I think one of the, the concerns that I have is truth is not always black and white. You know, there's a, there's a subjective, perspectival sense to this, so that in a trial they'll have three or four witnesses that each tell the truth. Mm -hmm. But there's a different perspective to that. Yeah. And so I just think, you know, to add to the struggle of lying and telling the <laughs> truth, the fact that truth is not always black and white. And that's, and that's, where, that's where, when we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, the need for wisdom. Like, presented with what, what seemingly are, are all of these truths, perhaps in a court of law or something. What, Lord, what is, what is true? I, I want to know what is true, and I want to do the right thing. To me, it also highlights the need for the righteousness of Christ. Mm. Yeah, uh, to truthful lips ultimately presuppose a truthful heart something that's been changed, a heart that is desiring truth, uh, and, I, and the righteousness of Christ. I, I need a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. That's the new covenant, right? Uh, at the very minimum, we say that truth is precious. I mean, just from this small sampling, we must be very careful to preserve and to guard the truth. The Bible prizes, puts a premium on truth. And I mentioned this a couple a week or two ago. When we are truthful, who are we most imitating? God. And that's not a small thing. Like, don't, don't just, uh, that I have my, in my notes here, that is no small thing. Don't think it's an insignificant thing when we're speaking truth that it imitates God as the true God. Um, it's not an insignificant matter. Also, on the flip side, don't think that it's a small matter to be um, untruthful. Uh, so how do you, so let's just get down to some uh, practical things you've heard of. Um, maybe we should perhaps evaluate these phrases that we commonly say when we're confronted. We say something like, I don't know. And maybe you do know, <laughs> or you know something, and you say, I don't know, or I don't remember, or I forgot. And so you're speaking, right? Um, 
gets into this whole concept of is there such a thing for the believer? Uh, you hear this as the little little white lies. Uh, <clears throat> what do you do? Uh, this is the this is the good one, right? When your spouse comes to you with asking your opinion of a particular, generally it's the guys who are responding to the wife who asks about the dress or asks about the clothing or what have you. Uh, honey, does this, how does, what is this, how does this look on me? And uh, how do you respond? And thinking of how you respond truthfully. Just actually be truthful in that situation. You don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Perhaps you don't like the dress. <laughs> She's very excited about the dress. Speaking about that, that's the first thing I talked over with Darla when we first got married. I said, don't ask about anything unless you're willing to hear the truth. And, you know, she followed that, and I appreciate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could go both ways. Sure, oh, yeah. sure. Um, in Psalm 25, uh, 5, it says, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, and for you I wait all the day. I think it's important that we ask God to lead us yeah. in his truth because we don't, we don't naturally like, think the right way about it. Yeah, um, but our proclivities, and I want to I come back to this. I think in the Ephesian passage you pointed us to, not only does it say to speak the truth, but it goes on to say don't let anything come out of your mouth which isn't helpful mm. in building the other person up. Amen. So I don't, I don't think the scripture is demanding raw, brutal truth. You know, it, it must be truth that's tempered yeah. with love that's going to build the other person up. Right, yeah. Right, yeah, seasoned with salt, seasoned with grace. Um, there, there is a way to respond. I think if, if you consider and you, you, you think, you know, how might I respond to my spouse who's asking me this? I really don't like that particular dress or whatnot. How do you say that in a way that, that is um, for the building up? You say you're too beautiful for that dress. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get into flattery. and so, Right, so... Um, like, yeah, it's, it's, there, there is a way, but I, I, I'm just wanting to put this in front of you as how common uh, we, we just, we, we, we work with words all the time. We're always using words. And um, where there are many words, sin is not absent, right, is the proverb. So, um, so, so I want to, I want to go back to this, this proclivity, um, Kind of even to the the uh, the uh, the hymn prone to wander. Um, Psalm one twenty. I need to find my notes here. Uh, <clears throat> Psalm one twenty. He says, and we reread this at the beginning. But the psalmist says, "Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, and from a deceitful tongue." Again, speaking is emphasized. <clears throat> Just the heart of that prayer. Now, you actually need the context of, of what's going on in Psalm 120. And he's, if you would just read that out of context, it would sound like initially it's like, oh, deliver me, Lord, from my own 
deceitful or lying lips. Uh, initially, but the, the, the immediate context of Psalm 120, I believe, is the psalmist is being slandered against. Okay? There's, there's some lies that are being said about the psalmist. And so he is actually praying, Lord, deliver me, in that sense, from my enemies, from words that are wrong, uh, wrongly used against me. So I'm being sinned against, uh, slandered, whatnot, and so deliver me from lying lips. I think that's the most immediate application, but I do think that you, there is a principle here, to, to your point, lead me in truth, that's what you were saying, that there is a, there is a heart of prayer in that, on the flip side, it's like, yeah, deliver me from deceitful speech or from uh, lying lips, prone to put, if I am prone to put the best light or hedge on the truth to protect myself, especially if I'm confronted in my sin and I don't want to speak truthfully, deliver me from lying lips. Um, one of the uh, authors here that I've been reading is that speakers, when we we use the medium of words. Speakers make ethical commitments by speaking. Speakers make ethical commitments by speaking. What does that mean? You know, sometimes I, I uh, think about even, even physically, like within the culture, how foundations to break up. I, I don't I don't I'm not I don't know how to say that, but you know, you think about you think about God's truth even uh, like revealed in creation, how how things are just so honest. They're just so beautiful and intricate intricate. I don't I don't know what I'm saying, but it seems like it does seem like the lack of truth does break down mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Culture. Uh, I think integrity goes goes hand in hand with with speaking truthfully, right? Uh, and that, that our culture doesn't doesn't care about integrity, um, doesn't doesn't value the truth as we've been seeing here. Um, <clears throat> well, could you give us just a working definition of truth when you say that? What exactly do you mean? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think um, ultimately truth is that which accords with what God says, right? Um, aligning ourselves with what God has said. We know God is true. He cannot speak lies. So if I'm speaking truthfully uh, at the highest level, I'm speaking what God says from Scripture. Um, you know, some would say, oh, I, and I'm going to mess this definition up. Um, uh, that which accords with reality. Uh, there's some concern with that. Reality is defined by who? Um, I want God's reality to define what is, what is real and what is true. And so truth is that which would, would, would accords with to reality. I think... I'd seen that on an R.C. Sproul video, um, but as it as it accords 
as it's defined by who? Who defines reality? And we don't define reality. We want God to define reality. Um, I think there's an intrinsic, right, being made in the image of God. Uh, as God is true, there's some intrinsic understanding of truth that we know in our conscience. Uh, if we've been given a new heart especially, we know, uh, we know when we're speaking truthfully. We know when we're not. Um, do you have a thought, Gary, on that? Well, I, I just know there, you know, there's a correspondence theory of truth. Yeah, that's kind. Of, I, that's what I was thinking. The correspondence. There's a pragmatic. There's mm -hmm. a web. There are different approaches to that, and I think we all, when we say truth, we all think we all mean the same right. thing. But it's not so easy just to define what truth is. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, and which which does make it challenging. Um, again, I need wisdom to think through that. Um, it, it seems to me that correspondence to what is there is a significant part of it. It may not be the whole story, mm -hmm. but truth that the baby really did fall was not thrown. I saw that cor yeah, what, what well, I'm giving testimony correspond to what really happened yeah. as I saw that. You know. Yeah. Could you put in your de definition the opposite of Right. Yep. When you think of the word, say, define them in the truth, your word is truth. Mm -hmm. So the character of God is yeah. truth. Is. And, and isn't there a distinction between being misinformed and saying something that's sure. not true because you have the wrong information yep. than intentionally trying to deceive another person? That makes it even a little naughtier. Yeah, yeah. Intentionality. Um, and there is. With social media, uh, uh, where was I reading? It wasn't in here because this was written in the 19th, I don't know, before, before social media. Uh, but there is this uh, thought of intentionally uh, propagating things that are untrue, which is more wicked, than, oh, yeah, no, that, and, and forwarding something or retweeting something or, or, or you know, liking something or whatever that you're misinformed. Uh, which you would want to reconcile that and rectify that if you found out that later on, oh, I was, that actually isn't true. I, ret I retract that. You, you would want to go back to that, but being misinformed isn't near as uh, troublesome and, and problematic as, as intentionally misinforming. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a good clarification. Wikipedia good. wouldn't go together. What's that? Truth and Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe this isn't super helpful, but I, I was just thinking about this because Yeah. And it's what they feel. And so I've been very cautious about trying to apply feelings to truth, realizing feelings come out of a deceptive heart, right? You might feel like, so go back even to the dress, mm. how I feel. Sometimes mm -hmm. we need to evaluate our feelings as, well, that's how I felt. Well, sorry, that's from a deceptive heart. That wasn't true to begin with. You probably needed to stop and think a little bit and uh, apply some truth to your feeling so that it actually can be accurate. Yeah, yeah, we haven't even talked about uh, relativism too much. Uh, r relative, my truth, your truth, which, um, 
is odd because truth, the very word, presupposes error or falsehood. And you know, we can't all have the same A cannot be A and non-A at the same time in the same place. That's just logic. Uh, but uh, Jesus cannot be God and not God, right? Someone's got the truth there. Uh, and, and so my truth, your truth, uh, relative truth, we haven't even really addressed, addressed much of that. John? As, as finite beings, I don't even think we're capable of speaking. We can't speak um, truth as perfect. I mean, um, we, don't have, we can't speak absolute truth like his word can. We don't even have the capability of speaking absolute truth. Wouldn't you say that? Wouldn't you say there's enough in us not to? That would be, right, I, I, you want to balance new heart, uh, regenerated, uh, given a new spirit, right? The spirit of God lives in us. You, you do want to, you want to keep that, um, but, but you, you know, we do, we are tainted, right? We talk about total depravity, but, but our, our Christians, as Christians, given new hearts, uh, have the spirit of God dwelling in us. Um, not everything that we say is evil, right? We can align ourselves with what, what God says. Uh, I would have to think about. I would have to think about that. I mean, to say that Jesus is the Son of God, to say that Jesus is God in the flesh, but is true. But you're speaking His word. That's that's right. But I'm but I'm using. Yeah, you're right. Um, in terms of if I'm actually saying these things, I am speaking. Absolute truth. That's a good. That's a. That's a good thought. I think to I was through. thinking along the lines that he is, where if when we're echoing scripture, it's absolute truth. Mm-hmm. We can say absolute truth when we're speaking scripture, but when we're evaluating a situation with the facts that we have, we're not God. We may be saying what we believe is true, yep. but we don't have all the facts. Right. So I want to get back to this. Speakers. This quote. Speakers make ethical commitments by speaking. So your choice to open your mouth and to cause words <laughs> to come out, you are making an ethical decision right then and there. Because words, we slightly mentioned this last week or the week before about leaving the light on at your house when you go out for the evening to make it appear as though someone is there, even though someone is not. And that is different than saying, I am home Right? I will be home tonight. I'm not going out tonight. And then your friend sees you at Menards tonight. And you said you weren't going out. Now there's something. There's a commitment was made when you said those words. Right? Because words. So here's where I want to go with the, the speaking. Ethical, uh, speakers make ethical commitments. Because you're entering into a transaction with someone else by using words. There's something going on between image bearers here. Where actions, and the, the easy, kind of the fun example is disguising defenses in sports, uh, you know, head fake, you know, the, the, these actions can be ambi- ambiguous in some ways. They're left to interpretation, for the most part. Words, words are constrained by meaning. Now, there can be equivocation. We can use the same word differently and so forth. But generally speaking, there are rules to words. And there is no ambiguity. I'm quoting again from, so his name is Vern Poitras. Verbal communication is largely fixed by the intrinsic meaning of words. All right, we all know what, I mean, 
When you're engaged with someone in, in conversation, you're using common language. And the words, unless you have, what do you mean by that? As, as Brother Gary asked me, what do you mean by truth? But generally speaking, you're not asking each other to define words all the time. You know what the word means. And so you're making ethical commitments to another person. Um, but just by the mere fact that you've opened your mouth and you've decided to speak. Okay, so this, this brings a, a kind of a weight to the way that we interact um, with one another, even with our neighbors, oh, certainly with brothers and sisters, but even with our neighbors. Um, so truth is not a small thing. Speaking is not a small thing. And he wrote the book, um, The Lie, uh, The Jews and Their Lies. Mm. And the fact that that really influenced Nazi Germany yeah. and Hitler. Yep. Like the effect of our words and yep. the ethical part of that when we speak out of our own wisdom instead of. Right. Yeah, it's a terrible chapter in Luther's life. Um, and uh, so remember, the reformers were men with clay feet. And uh, they were prone to sin, as you and I are as well. Uh, but that is true. So, so even his influence that, that Martin Luther had and, and, the, and the, the sway that he held and then speaking in those ways did um, have ramifications. So, so let's think of this, uh, ramifications, implications, uh, considerations. Um, we've kind of built this heart case. Right, and I would think that most of us, maybe all of us in the room, will not be confronted by, well, I don't know. I mean, you think that most of us in this room won't be confronted by government officials when we're hiding Christians in our basement. But maybe someday in this country that might be true. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but one of the, the authors here says that, that hard cases are, and let me quote this, um, if we start to begin to justify, uh, there is this, and we didn't get much into this as well either, but uh, one side of this argument says there's no, never a case where you can lie. There's, you always must speak the truth, even in the case of the Nazis and the Jews. The other side say, no, there is, there is room for that. I said this last week, men on both sides of that argument <clears throat> have good arguments. Uh, but this particular argument, argument is from Wayne Grudem, and he would, would land on the side where uh, you, you're not allowed to lie in any case. And he says this. Let me just give you some thought here. Such reasoning from hard cases quickly, uh, in other words, the reasoning like I can lie in order to save a life. Okay. Such reasoning from hard cases quickly leads to easy rationalizations for other sins. So it's easy for people to progress from one. So he's what, feel this progression here. Uh, one, it is sometimes right to lie in order to preserve, to preserve a human life. To two, it is right to lie when it does more good than harm. To three, it is right to lie when you think it will bring a good result. To four, it's sometimes right to break other commands of the Bible when it will do more good than harm. Um, that's not a foregone conclusion. But he's just saying, is this a possibility? And a lot of times this hard case is brought before college students 
and uh, people who are antagonistic to Christianity. Like, see, 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 you, you, there's no, there's, these are just hard cases, and uh, you're never going to be able to get out of something like this without sinning. And, and it's like, well, okay, I need to rationalize this and think through that. Um, hard cases are a progression toward relativism, perhaps. Um, it, or just thinking in your own life or if something you've observed in others, like a person who finds it easier to lie as the more they lie, right? It just becomes an easier thing to do. Um, then you become a person who is not characterized by truth. Um, another thought you might have is, what are the, is there a hierarchy of moral obligations? So in other words, that, that uh, the author's on the other side. So Wayne Grudem would be on this side, you can never lie. The authors who have written Christian ethics textbooks would be Feinberg and Feinberg, if you are familiar with that. It's a really big ethics book, Ethics for a Brave New World. They would land on the side that, yeah, there is a hierarchy. You are allowed to, be, to lie in certain cases. Uh, Norman Geisler wrote a Christian ethics textbook in that same vein, or it would, would follow that. And so, but the question is, to build a hierarchy of moral obligations. So, for instance, love of God um, over love of man. Um, obey God over government. Now, some of these are, are, are truly true. Like, you, you, we will obey God. Uh, if the government is telling us to disobey God, we're going to obey God, right, over government. Um, but even, uh, I don't know if it's Feinberg or Geisler said, mercy over veracity. Extending mercy over truth. Right? There's, there's a hierarchy. And, and so a person's thinking through this. Well, I should be more merciful in this case than truthful. And, and the question is, if that's the case, where do you see that explicitly in the New Testament? We see this in some narratives that we saw last week. Uh, Rahab. Uh, the Egyptian midwives. I have a question. I, I'm not sure that the Egyptian midwives actually really um, lied. Um, there is some thought that they uh, delayed coming or that, the, that the, uh, the pregnant ladies, the women who are giving birth, wouldn't call the midwives. And so by the time that they were giving birth, the baby was already born, and then, and then call the midwives. Well, the midwives are there. Well, it's too late. Well, why didn't you? Well, the, the women birthed too fast. Well, yeah, they do, because they do, you didn't call them, right? So there, there may not have been a true lie there, Justin. In those narratives, if God's will is to be done, why do we think that God would, no matter what they did, that God's will would have been done anyway? And, it, and is it viewed as a good thing that they lied? Maybe that was sin. Okay, so here's what John Calvin says to that. Speaking of um, Rahab, there's a quote from John Calvin. As to the falsehood, so she lied, right? She lied about the, I don't know where they are. They were up on the roof hiding. I don't know where they are. They're gone. That was a lie. Okay, as to the falsehood, this is John Calvin. We must admit that though it was done for a good purpose, it was not free from fault. For those who hold what is called a dutiful lie 
or, or, or uh, an ex a lie of expediency, a, d a dutiful lie that I, I have. In this case, I have, I have the ability or I have the necessity of the lie. For those who are what is called a dutiful lie to be altogether excusable, do not sufficiently consider how precious truth is in the sight of God. Therefore, although our purpose be to assist our brethren, it can never be lawful to lie because that cannot be right, which is contrary to the nature of God and God is truth. That's John Calvin in quote. Um, yeah, uh, John Murray has a similar thought to your point, Justin. If we say, uh, speaking of Rahab, if it is objected, now you've got to kind of follow the language here. I've, I've run out of time, unfortunately. If it is objected that the preservation of the spies, you know, they were preserved, and the subsequent sending them out another way could not have been accomplished apart from the untruth uttered. I mean, that was the only way this all could have happened is if, if, she, went, if she lied. There are three things to be borne in mind. One, we are presuming too much in reference to the providence of God. Like, could, is this the only way that God could have worked is through this? We're pre, he, so Murray is saying we're presuming too much to the successful outcome of her believing, actually. Number two, granting that, in fact, in, in fact, the providence of God, that the untruth was one of the means through which the spies escaped. It does not follow, it does not follow that Rahab was morally justified in using this method. Again, so taking the narrative and saying, well, is it descriptive, but don't make that prescriptive. It doesn't follow that this is now something that necessarily we are able to do in that situation. And then three, this kind of argumentation that seeks to justify untruth because it is so closely bound up in the total result, right? Well, that untruth, it couldn't have happened any other way without that untruth, is akin to justifying Jacob, uh, Jacob's lie, Jacob's deception. Like the child of the prom of promise, right? Um, where Rachel and J that Rachel hatches his plan and Jacob says he is Esau. He lies to his dad, <laughs> right? And it, but he gets the blessing. Yeah. But the blessing was sovereignly already promised beforehand, right? So to say that, well, the lie was part and parcel. It had to happen. Uh, it, we presume too much is what John Murray is saying on that. Um, so lots to think about just in how we would approach something like this. Prayerfully, we won't have to approach something like this in our day. Um, but we do know, at the very bottom, that truth is at a premium. God's character is at, is we're, we're speaking very specifically about God's character in that. Um, and uh, so I've run, I've, I'm sorry, that I've run out of time. Um, what, I, what I was hoping to do, so this is the last class. There will be no class next week because of Thanksgiving. Um, we'll pick uh, as the Lord should will. I'll say that. Who knows what happens in February, between now and February. But as the Lord wills, we will pick up being a little um, more taking topics, subjects. And that's kind of what I was hoping to do is, thinking in your mind, what are the driving ethical issues of the day uh, that we might uh, at least put on the board and look at and not necessarily have all the perfect answers to but and be able to talk about. And I did not get to that here at this time. I'm, I'm late here. But, um, anyway, I've appreciated these last nine weeks or eight weeks or however long we've been together. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming. And uh, let me pray for, pray for us as we go to the next hour. Our Father, we're grateful. Indeed, you're uh, 
kind providence to bring us here to this point uh, in the semester. You've, you've uh, given us wisdom and insight. You've certainly given us your word. We love your word. We want to obey your word. We want to interact with your word um, that we would become more like Christ and uh, even as we think about ethics. So I pray that these weeks have been helpful. I pray that you would use a nugget here and a nugget there in our lives as we think about how to be and how to apply some of these practical, philosophical, theological foundations to ethics. So bless these who have come and uh, may you go before them. Give them wisdom as they deal in the truth. Give them wisdom as they make decisions this week as they make big decisions, um, daily decisions, and, and large decisions, you'd help them. Lord, we love you. We thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, for the gospel, for forgiveness of sin, for an empty cross and an empty tomb. And that we even can celebrate that this morning in the Lord's Supper. I pray that that would uh, be edifying for us and in remembering your death. So uh, go with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.